couple things for announcements. Uh, Dell is doing our egg hunt, Easter egg hunt, tomorrow afternoon from 2 to 4 in four different communities around the church here. Uh, it's only, it, the registrations are done. If, if you're interested now, I'm sorry. We've, uh, we've already blown past what we had materials for, went out, and by the grace of God found more materials. But please pray for that. It'll be tomorrow afternoon, about 2 o'clock, we'll start four different communities, and we have 145-ish bags that are going out into different homes. Well, people are going to drive up and get them, but one bag per household kind of thing. It's an amazing thing God has done, so we're excited for that. Uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, Dell families, if you'd like these too, but Dell families, I sent emails to with coloring pages for tonight for the kids. We aren't doing a kid talk tonight, but if they're listening along with you, they would, um, I know they would uh, enjoy and love coloring on one of those pages I sent you. So check your email if you'd like to do that. Easter Sunday morning, whether it blizzards or not, <laughs> isn't this a weird time? Uh, Easter, we're going to do 1030 uh, with the live stream on YouTube again. And then if you'd like to join us when that service is done, around 1130-ish somewhere, about five or ten minutes later, we're going to come back on with a communion service of about 10 or 15 minutes. If you'd like to join us for that and, and let me lead you through communion at home, then you need to go to our website, which is delfreechurch.org, and there will be a communion tab there that you can click on. It'll take you right to the video, and uh, we will walk through communion that way. Okay? I think that's all I have for announcements tonight. So let's go ahead and pray. Invite the Lord's presence to come here and wherever you're listening, watching on your devices, and ask God to move on us tonight. Mighty God, we give you thanks and praise again for this day, for your fresh new mercies for us this morning, promised by your word, that your grace has been sufficient, powerful, and wonderful to meet our every need today. And even beyond that, God, you always give an abundance. You always give us more than we need. So, Father, we thank you for that. We're coming now, Lord. This is the Friday of the Holy Week where Jesus gave his life on the cross. According to the scriptures, God, those faithful witnesses, Jesus was crucified around 9 o'clock in the morning, was there on the cross until about 3 o'clock when he gave up his spirit and died. So, Father, we're here to commemorate that, to uh, honor it, to honor your sacrifice, Lord Jesus to learn more of the depth and the power of your love and your sacrifice for us. And God, help us tonight to take your word to heart. As uh, Elder and I were praying just a little bit ago, help us, God, to take your word to heart and not just be hearers who go, gee, that was interesting, but then to become people of God who do your word and share it with others. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Our opening hymn tonight and the words there are um, underneath, uh, if you're on your computer or whatever kind of device, you can access the lyrics. They're underneath. On the, just click on the show more. Show more and the lyrics pop up there. We're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. A few of you have hymnals at home, so it's number 258 if you're pulling out your hymnal. 258. <clears throat>
It's powerful. His love, so amazing, demands everything we have in return. Amen. I want to go straight to our devotion tonight. Again, like last night, this service is kind of a continuation of Ash Wednesday. So this sermon is right at the, the very front end of the service. Let me uh, begin with Paul's greeting. Oftentimes in his letters in the scriptures, you'll recognize it. Grace and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. By the presence of His Holy Spirit, He's here. He's in your homes, your vehicles, wherever you're watching or listening to this. And the Holy Spirit is within every single believer. Praise the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. We're going to look again tonight. been looking at these Wednesdays and then last night and tonight in Lent at some of the specific things Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And there's, there's really almost no way to exhaust all the different things he accomplished there. We commonly think of the, the most important, you know, paying for our sins and conquering death, certainly. We've been looking at ransom and justification and all different kinds of things that go with that. Tonight we're going to look at this aspect of the sacrifice of Jesus and how all the sacrifices that Israel had been doing up until the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, it changes everything. So that's where we're going tonight. I'm going to start with um, Hebrews chapter 9, eventually getting to verse 24, but I just want to start with this little lead-in. It's hard for us to imagine, especially uh, in a um, first world nation like America, where we can buy meat in, at the grocery store wrapped in cellophane and be so far removed from the process of where that came from and how it got to us that um, we hear stories about this all the time in rural America, but there are folks that really don't understand that that steak that they're cooking came from a cow. I mean, it, it, the folks don't get it because they're so far removed from the process. Well, back here 2,000 years ago, the Israelites were still sacrificing lambs in the temple every day throughout the year for different, occasion, for different ways of uh, paying for and covering for sin. And then on special occasions like Passover and stuff, there would have been thousands of lambs sacrificed each day during that kind of high holy time where Jerusalem would explode in population with people coming from all over the nation and sometimes all over the world, and then extra sacrifices done on those occasions. So that's the kind of the backdrop here where the author of Hebrews is going to take all of that. Well, for over a thousand years, Israel has been sacrificing animals like that on a daily basis, pretty much, for sin. So a thousand years... In that time frame, probably millions of animals. I don't know, I haven't crunched the numbers. But that's been their whole experience, their practice, that's ingrained in their whole worship experience, this animal sacrifice. Along comes Jesus, and it's going to be a radical emphasis on that sacrifice. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. 
Now, I'm going to go slow here because this is we're diving right into the deep end of the pool, okay? We didn't start in shallow and walk our way up. We're right in the deep part already. So he says, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. Now, he says places, plural. He's still referring to the temple. But when you walked into the temple that was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount at that time, the, the, the first room you stepped into was a holy place. But then at the end of the room protected and kept separate by this thick braided curtain, at the end of that room was the holy of holies. So you have holies plural, holy general area when you first step into it, and only priests were allowed there. And then the holy of holies where only the high priest was allowed once a year. So that's what the author is talking about here when he uses plural. For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, like in Jerusalem, the temple, which are copies of the true things. Now, he's not cutting down the temple at all, but what's the temple? Temple is a man-made thing. God's dimensions, God's instructions, God even told him what materials to use, and height and width and depth, the whole thing, even colors of the curtain, what symbols should be on the curtain, tons of detail. But that's a copy a man-made copy, even by God's direction, a copy of, of heaven, in a sense. And so the author says, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, heaven itself, but Christ entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So high priests, uh, priests would come into the temple, they'd bring the lambs in, they'd sacrifice them, sacrifice them outside, they'd, use, they'd bring the blood inside to do things on the altar and so forth to cover for sins. The high priests were doing these things all the time. They were coming into the holy places and bringing a sacrifice with them, right? Bringing blood with them. I should be pointing in this direction, holy, holies right here, right? In a sense. They'd bring blood with them to cover for sins and pay for those sins. The author here says, Jesus did that for us, but he wasn't going into the temple in Jerusalem with the blood of animals. He was going into God's own perfect holy presence in heaven with a different sacrifice. Let's see which one it was. He says, um, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now, the priest did that in the Jerusalem temple too. He, there were special days, Day of Atonement, where he came in and, and his sacrifice that he brought that day was for the whole nation of Israel. So that's a common thing. Jesus comes into the presence of God on our behalf, just like the high priest, verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. So the high priest, ha- the priest had to keep offering sacrifices over and over and over daily, daily sacrifices. And once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies with a sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. But he wasn't bringing his own blood. He was bringing the blood of an animal. Okay? So the author says here, Jesus didn't have to offer himself repeatedly like the high priest did as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, verse 26. For then Jesus would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Because when did sin start? 
sin started really soon after the perfect creation. Adam and Eve blew it pretty quickly in that process. So he says, if, if we needed Jesus to be like the lambs, we'd have needed him to go to the cross every year for like the last, for the last couple of millennium. So that's not the case. It says, but as it is, Jesus has appeared. Look at this, folks. You got your own Bibles laid out in front of you? Circle stuff, underline it, start here or something. But as it is, Christ has appeared once, one sacrifice for all at the end of the ages. Now that all is one of the most powerful, all-inclusive, three-letter words in the English language you'll find in the whole Bible. All. For all. Jesus appeared once for all what? All sin. All people. All time. Is that the biggest little three-letter word you've ever seen? All. But as it is, he has appeared once, one time, for all of that, all those people and all that sin at the end of the ages to do what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's glorious. Just soak in that. That blessed me so powerfully again today when I was looking at this. Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put it away. Hallelujah. Now I want to jump over to chapter 10 verse 11. See more how this plays out, how it's applied to our lives. Chapter 10 in Hebrews, verse 11. Here the author says, every priest, every human priest stands daily at his sacrifice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over and over, which can never take away sins. Now that take away, literally it says, uh, the priest offers repeatedly over and over day after the same sacrifices which can never strip away sins. Strip away. Can't do it. But he's comparing it to, to one who can strip away our sins. So we, we, earlier in chapter 9 we had Jesus puts away our sins. Here we have he strips away our sins. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, nowadays, we have this thing, I suppose it's getting old already by now, as far as the fad goes, the mic drop, right? Now, the mic drop means what? I nailed it. I did it perfectly. Nobody can ever do it better. Nobody else needs this microphone. Boom, we're done. And they walk away, right? The mic drop. This is way bigger than the biggest mic drop you can ever imagine. What is he talking about here? I can hear Jesus saying, one of the things he said on the cross, we're going to hear it in a little bit, one of the things he said on the cross was, it is finished. The one-time sacrifice for all sin, all people, all time, it's finished, Jesus is going to say at the end of his time on the cross. It says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That means done, finished, once for all. Don't do the mic drop thing, but that's, that's the current thing in our culture. That's the kind of thing that he's saying, finished. Nobody else can do that. Nobody can ever top it. Nobody needs to attempt it. Finished, paid for. Why does Jesus sit down at the right hand of God? Because his work there on the cross is done. 
Now, there's other times where the scriptures in the New Testament will portray Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And in those passages, Jesus is, is ready to, he's got things to accomplish yet, right? He's coming back a second time to draw everything to a close, to make this place right, no more viruses, no more plagues, no more famine, no more any of that. He's coming back again. So the scripture shows sometimes Jesus is standing at the right hand of God because he's about to do something and accomplish or fulfill prophecy yet to do. But other times like this, when you see him sitting at the right hand of God, it's because it's portraying him. He's accomplished everything the Father asked him to do in that moment. Here he's sitting down at the right hand of God because he's done with sin. Verse 13, he's waiting from that time till the time he rose from the grave and ascended to the Father's right hand. Jesus is waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Death is the last enemy that he's waiting to be silenced forever. Verse 14, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, you got to take a moment here, take a big, deep breath, and now focus. This verse is talking about you. If you are a saved believer in Jesus Christ, God is talking about you right now. What's he saying about you? He's saying the single offering that Jesus did on the cross makes you perfect not in the sense of I'm never going to do anything wrong, makes you righteous and holy and saved in the eyes of God, makes you perfect for all time. It says for those being sanctified, for those who are continuing to walk with Jesus day by day. How powerful is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? not just powerful enough to pay for all sin, for all time, for all people. Powerful enough to make us holy and righteous, blameless, a spotless bride when Jesus comes back. People, I know who I am. I know my thoughts and words and deeds. I can't imagine being that clean before God. I know I could never accomplish that in any way, shape, or form myself. But Jesus does that for me. He did it for you. The blood of Christ, his sacrifice, makes me perfected, holy, righteous, beautiful through and through in the eyes of a holy God. That's how powerful his one-time, six-hour sacrifice on the cross really is. That's how powerful it is. Why do, we, why do we dedicate an extra, another service on Friday night in Holy Week? Why do, we bother to, why do we bother? Because what Jesus accomplished on the cross is the most powerful thing this world will ever know. That's why. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, God says, I will put my laws on their hearts. Where did God put his law first? On tablets of stone. God says, there's going to come a time, a new covenant. 
Go look at last night if you don't know what the covenant's about. This new covenant, and this new covenant, I'm going to put my law on their hearts. I'm going to write it in their minds. Then God adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This always blows me away and blesses me. God never commands you and I to forget other people's sins against us or to forget our own sins. We're not able to do that. But God can, and he does. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Last verse, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What he's saying there is, Jesus has accomplished all we need for forgiveness of our sin. He doesn't need to make any additional offerings. You can't make any additional offerings. The one payment that God receives and allows for sin, it's already been paid by Jesus on the cross. There's no other offering you can make. So you want to come into the presence of a holy God? Don't plan on bringing something you cooked up yourself. It'll be barred at the gate. The only sacrifice you can bring to come into the presence of a holy God is the sacrifice he provided for you and Jesus, his son on the cross. What about that sacrifice? What's so special about it? It's so special because thousands of years and millions of sheep or whatever other animals, they couldn't do the job. They pointed to the one who would do the job, but they couldn't do the job themselves. Jesus' sacrifice is once for all people, for all sin, for all time. The sheer power of it is beyond mind-boggling. And it's available to you tonight by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your sacrificial lamb. This is why, people, you've got to have Jesus and nobody else will do. Muhammad didn't do this for you. Buddha didn't do this for you. The hundreds of gods and, and um, other religions, they didn't do it for you. He's the only one. That's why we take time on a Friday night in Holy Week it's the most powerful thing the earth has ever seen, aside from the resurrection. But that's coming on Sunday. And all God's people said, Amen. What we're going to do now is the seven last words from the cross. And normally I have a confirmation student help me with this, but I'm going to try and do it myself tonight because virus... So I'm going to stand off to the side. And again, in case you're just popping in late or something, we have seven lit candles on the altar. Each one represents one of the seven different things that Jesus spoke from the cross. We're going to read those now. And each time I finish reading one, I'll step over and douse one of the candles. The idea is that Jesus is giving his life and his life's blood. Um, and we come closer to that last moment when he does give up his spirit in the Father's hands and dies. So that's what we're doing right now. 
as they led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him, made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that, wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Please fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home.
at noon, darkness came over the whole land until about 3 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Darkness had come over the whole land from noon until three o'clock, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. going to close tonight with the hymn 287, Were You There? Lyrics might be there on the page for you. Were You There?
from the cross now where Jesus has been taken down and Joseph of Arimathea had compassion on him, wanted to honor him, put his body in a tomb that had never been used before. It was brand new. Sealed that tomb, rolled the stone. And now we're going to wait with Joseph and all the disciples. They didn't realize he was rising up, but we're, we know we're going to wait for the Sunday morning shout. And as we wait, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and keep you in his peace. In the name of the Father, and the crucified Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.